Let's go ahead and uh, let's take a look at the scriptures. We're going to continue where we started last week, talking about the new creation, talking about the new birth, who we are in Christ. Uh, as I mentioned last week, the, uh, I think the critical need for the church right now is that we would comprehend our identity in Jesus. We, we need to comprehend Jesus. We have to come to know him in a deep and rich way, filled with the knowledge of him, filled with his affections for us. And then from that place of the knowledge of God and the way he thinks and feels his nature, we need to comprehend who we are in him who we are as his sons and his daughters, who we are as people who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. I remember I heard a guy say one time, he says, you know, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. He's not some hitchhiker. He's not just a visitor that comes every now and then and shows up and says hello and then leaves. He lives inside of you. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is in there. He's not, a, he's not just somebody that's visiting for a minute. He's in your spirit. And that truth, I believe, is one of the most you know, underrated, untaught, uh, un misunderstood truths in the entire Bible. And what we find is that most of the New Testament is is um, teaching us from that thrust of understanding that God lives on the inside. And so if we can get our minds aligned with the way that the New Testament uh, teaches us, then we can understand that this new life that we have in Jesus, it's a life that comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. Christi Christianity, it's not a, a system of belief. It's not a, a, a rule system. It's not a behavior modification plan. <laughs> you know, some people approach their Christianity like, oh, I'm just supposed to do this so I can be a better person. Christianity has nothing to do with being a behavior modification plan. It is a relationship with God. And when you enter into that relationship, this is the shock of Christianity. God comes and lives inside of you. No other religion offers that. It's all this thing where you're trying to serve a God up there somewhere and hopefully he doesn't smash you and you work and work and work and work to try to get his approval. But in Christianity with Jesus, he died and you died with him. And then he was raised and guess what? You were raised with him. And he explains that that resurrection that takes place on the inside happens by the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit coming inside of believers. If you're a believer, if you are a believer today, if Jesus is your Lord today, the Holy Spirit is inside you. And I mean, I get it. You know, our flesh has all sorts of feelings. Our emotions have all sorts of feelings. But those are supposed to be directed and governed now by the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you. And, I, I, you know, I, I can't even talk about this without getting just absolutely excited. I just, I was going to come up here and be nice and calm. Y'all seemed calm today. I was going to be calm. But I don't feel calm. I'm talking about that for three minutes, and I don't feel calm at all anymore. I feel like I've got a nuclear powerhouse on the inside of me that's ready to explode because that's what's truth. Oh, man, let's just pray. <laughs> it's too good. 
It's too good. Being a Christian is too good to be boring and dull and dead. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love the power of the new birth. We love the change, the fact that we're different and that we're able to live differently now because of Holy Spirit on the inside, because of the grace of God manifest in the new birth, because of the fact that before I was dead, before I came into Christ, I was dead, but now in Christ, I am alive. Lord, I am so grateful that I am alive today. I'm not what I used to be. Thank you, God, for changing me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for giving me new life. Now, Lord, I'm asking, let the revelation, let the revelation of new life, let it come upon us this morning. I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to fill this room that we would come into the knowledge of who we are those that have a, a, a new birth, those that are sons and daughters, grant us revelation of our true identity. Help me to convey it with grace, God. Give me the words to speak. Let me speak as your oracle. I pray, hold my hand this morning. We give you thanks, Lord. Release revelation all over this room. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Okay, let's um, just slightly recap last week. I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I just want to mention a couple of the verses that we talked about last week, and then I just want to, I want to uh, expand on it uh, quite a bit more this morning. So 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. This is a critical truth, that if one died for all, then all died. When Jesus died on the cross, you died with him. When he was crucified, you were crucified. If you will accept what he's done on the cross, if you will accept his substitutionary sacrifice for you, when he died, you died. And, and, and here's the thing, and it's what I mentioned last week, you can't come to Jesus unless you're willing to accept your own death. Unless you're willing to accept that the person that you were before is dead, you can't even come to him. Because Jesus isn't a condiment that you sprinkle on top to sort of make your life more seasoned. He's not something that you just sort of add to sort of, sort of you know, make, make things taste a little better and get a little more blessing. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. If he is truly in your life, he is all, he is everything. That's what the scripture actually tells us. Christ is our life. So when you've died, when he, when he was crucified, you've died. And when you've died with him, then you also live with him. And that's what it says, that he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And there's the great exchange. He gives us his life, we give him ours. That's, that's, what, that's what being a believer is all about. It's not mental assent. It's not agreeing to a, a statement of faith. It, it, you know, I remember I used to do a, a lot of um, uh, homeless ministry, and I would talk to the guys, and I'd say, have you ever been born again? And they'd say, oh, yeah, I joined the church last week. 
I said, well, what do you mean you joined the church last week? They said, oh, I walked to the front and I shook the pastor's hand. I, I joined the church. And I'd say, but have you ever been born again? <laughs> Are you a Christian? They said, oh yeah, I shook the pastor's hand. I go, this has nothing to do with shaking a pastor's hand. If you shake my hand, that does nothing for you. Have you died and given Jesus your life? That's what I'm asking. And I believe this, we've preached an insufficient gospel that's, that's caused people to have an inadequate faith that's resulted in counterfeit conversion. And, and so I, what I want to do is I want to call us to, to, you know, identify the truth of our conversion and the reality of the indwelling spirit. And, and here's the thing, if you haven't died and you haven't given them your life, I, I just want to invite you to do that today. You know, you know, the old preacher used to say, well, you can just going to church, it doesn't make you a Christian. Just like going to the you know, gas station doesn't make you a car. Going to the restaurant doesn't make you a hamburger. I think there's a ton of people that hang around the church. They come in and out of services, and they kind of treat Jesus like he's a buffet item that they add to their plate when they want it. But Christianity, as I remember this old evangelist used to say, he says, Christianity isn't hanging around the cross. Christianity is getting on the cross with Jesus. That's Christianity. You died, he was raised, you give him your life, and then you're raised too. And then that's what the scripture tells us, that if if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Everybody say new creation. New creation. I love that. New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And, and here's what we realize that in Jesus, the new creation is your spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, went, he, he came and lived inside of you in your spirit. You, st- you still have the same uh, body, you still have the same soul but your spirit is now born again. It was dead and now it's alive. It was was completely destroyed in sin and now it's been resurrected on the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is who you are in Christ. And so with the Holy Spirit living on the inside, what, what the deal is is that now you are in a process of your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your flesh coming under the lordship of Jesus, being transformed completely transformed by the Holy Spirit on the inside. This is our journey in this age. And what I want to tell you is you have the power of a billion sons times a billion times infinity living on the inside of you. That's what you have inside of you right now. And I've had to come to grips with this. It's something I was sharing with the brothers before we came in this morning. I realized that as I'm studying this new creation, these new creation truths, I realized this. There's many, many times in my Christianity that I was praying for the Holy Spirit to be poured upon me, and what I needed to do was connect with the Holy Spirit that was living within me. Do you you see the difference? See, there is a power of the Holy Spirit upon. We see it on the day of Pentecost. Those those guys were born again on the day of Pentecost, but when fire fell on them and fire, uh, it it appeared and and alighted upon each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues and there was a mighty rushing wind. That's the power of the Spirit upon. And I love the power of the Holy Spirit upon. 
I, I love to pray, Lord, pour out your spirit, and I feel the room shift, and I feel the power of the Holy Spirit touch people. I love that. I love feeling his presence upon me. But there is so much that we already have by the Holy Spirit on the inside that we actually don't ever tap into. Many times we're praying, asking God to pour his spirit upon us, and we already have what Ephesians 3 says. We have power inside of us that's able to do beyond what we can ask or think. And this is what we've got to get into as believers, uh, beloved, is living by the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside because you are a new creation. Now, when you wake up in the morning, if you wake up and if you're kind of like me, I'm a slow riser. Any slow risers in the room? Praise God for all the slow risers. My wife, is a, she's a quick riser. She's a bing. She's out of bed. She like prances out of bed. She's like out the door in like three minutes, going to work out at 5.30 a.m. I'm like, bless her, Lord. Now I turn over to seek Jesus in a dream. But, but I, I, I'm a slow riser. It, it, it does. It takes me like 30 minutes to get going in the morning. Like, the, you know, I, I, I wake up and I'm like, it can't be. It, it just, it, it's just no way. This couldn't have happened. I, I feel like I, I couldn't have slept all night. This has got to be like 1 a.m. right now. And it's, it's like 6.30. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Five more minutes, Jesus. Come on. And, and you know, by 7 o'clock, I'm starting to like realize, no, this is happening. This is happening. This is another day, brother. You got to get going. This is happening to you. (laughs) Look, the struggle is real. If you're not a slow riser, you don't know what I'm talking about. You think I'm lazy. But if you're a slow riser, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't have to have alcohol to feel like you've got a hangover. That's like my every day. Wake up like, what? This cannot be a thing. But it's in that place of the brokenness of my own flesh and the weakness of my soul that I have to ask the question, why do I want to get out of bed today? Oh, I'm a new creation. You love me and you want to live with me and you want to do wonderful things today. Oh, I've got God on the inside of me. Oh, I don't have to keep turning over in the bed because I have an adventure called life because I'm a new creation in Christ. I have a furnace of galactic power on the inside of me, and I get to live from that place today. Come on, let's get it on. And then I get out of bed, and then, you know, I'm kind of back to normal. And, And my normal is on fire for God. I don't feel right when I'm not on fire for God. Are you comfortable living average? Don't be. You have God inside of you. That's the point of the new birth. I guarantee you, Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross and come and live inside of you with the Father by the Holy Spirit so we would be just average, blend-in kind of people. I'm not trying to shame us. I'm trying to like get, our, get us a vision. I'm, I'm giving myself a vision of this. I want to live so burning, white hot, with the revelation of God inside of me that it, it dictates the course of every moment of my day. I'm sure that's why he came to live inside of me. That no matter the storms, no matter the difficulties, no matter the trials, no matter the suffering, no matter what happens on the outside, I'm not living from the outside. I'm living from the inside. 
living from God on the inside. I'm a new creation. Everybody say new creation. So that's what we are. We're die- we've died with Christ, and now we are living with Christ. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. We're a new creation. And that's the exchange. I trade my life for his. So from there, we went and looked at Romans 6, and, and in Romans 6, we find this, that Paul actually gives us steps on how to live overcoming sin. And so he, he describes it this way. He says, what, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. He says, how, who we who have, how shall we who have died to sin live any longer there in it? Then he goes on to say in verse five, if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Our old man was crucified with him. I remember hearing this story that explained this verse. I, I, I need to look up the history to see if it's actually true, but I remember this, this pastor telling this story about this, this verse here, and he said that one of the um, penalties in, in the first century in, 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 in some of the cities of Asia Minor, one of the penalties that they used to, to put on people who had created a, that, that had committed a murder is they would take the dead body of the old of the person that they, they murdered and they would strap that body to the person. Anybody ever heard that one? It might be a preacher story, but it sounds good. I got to study the history of it. But they would put the dead body on the guy, and as that body began to rot, the rot from his body would then infect the murderer's body, and the murderer would get sick and die. It was the eye for an eye, the tooth for a tooth. And, and, and they said that what Paul's referencing here is the cutting away of the old man is a picture of getting rid of that, that body that had been tied on, the old dead man that had been tied onto you. See, in Christ, you're a new creation, but you still have to deal with the old inclinations of the flesh. Isn't that right? And so what it is, what he's saying is this, that in Christ, he's cutting away that old man so that those inclinations of the flesh, so they don't govern you anymore and they don't infect you anymore and they don't destroy you. And so I've seen this with with Christians. They really do get saved. They really do get born again. They really give Jesus their life, but they don't know how to manage the inclinations of their flesh and of their mind. And so what happens is this, because they have to look like a Christian, they begin to try to manage it from the outside in. And what they do is they live lives publicly as if they're they're holy, but privately hiding sin. Does this sound at all familiar? Anybody ever? And and so what happens is they they hide their sin in private because they know it's supposed to look a bit better on the outside publicly. and, And then that thing that they're hiding on the inside, it's like that old man, it just begins to corrupt them. Until you hear the story, you go, oh man, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, they completely fell away. Well, what do you mean they fell away? Well, they had this and this and this and this. And how did they fall away? I mean, they, they love Jesus. And what you find, there's this whole hidden thing going on. And what Paul's addressing here in Romans 6, he's saying this, that, that you don't have to live trying to keep the outside clean. You can live from the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside that will ultimately change everything from the inside out. And he's describing how our old man is crucified that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. 
This is burning in my heart right now. No longer slaves of sin. No longer slaves of sin. And I'm not trying to get in an argument with you about Christian perfectionism. Here's what I am trying to say. Paul gave us a high vision that by the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us and by what the work of the cross is, that we do not have to be slaves of sin any longer. We can live free from sin. We can live free from sin. I remember one of our intercessors years ago, she had this encounter with the Lord and the Lord was thundering to her and he was saying this, can a man be born again? And she was saying, Lord, why? And he just said it over again, can a man be born again? And she's like, what, why are you asking me that? And it was a rhetorical question. The Lord was, he was thundering to her over and over and over, can a man be born again? And here's why. Because there have been so many stories and so many tales of different ones who were supposedly like serving the Lord had fallen away. And the Lord was speaking right into that saying, uh, he was saying it this way, a man can be born again. This thing called the new birth is real, but it requires living from the inside that we actually live in this place where we're no longer slaves of sin. We're, we're no longer living by the, the old man Verse 7, he says, he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. He died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And he says, likewise, and this is what we talked about last week a little bit, reckon yourselves dead to sin. Count it that in Christ you are dead to sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. Sin no longer rules over you. And that's what Paul taught. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. And he was teaching this in a context of a New Testament church that had tons of new believers. They came out of worshiping idols, many, many, many of them. And things like debauchery and sexual immorality and perversion were running rampant through the society at the time. And he was speaking right into that to a church at Rome who was ruled by an antichrist figure saying, you don't have to live according to the sinful desires of your flesh. This is who you can be in Christ where you're actually cutting off and putting to death those desires and living by the Spirit. It says this, reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says this, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. And so right there I go, now wait, didn't you just say I'm dead to sin? If I'm dead to sin, why are you telling me don't let sin reign? And what we have here is this application of the truth that in Christ you are dead to sin, in Christ you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, and walking that out means I reckon myself dead to sin, and I do not let sin reign in my mortal body. That there is an activity that I actually have, that, that I can, can live in and that I can walk in that enables me to overcome sin by using the power of the Holy Spirit within me and the grace of God. Do you see that? 
There, the, the Bible is really clear. It says there is no temptation that, that is not common to man, that, that with every temptation that comes your way, that the Lord provides a way of escape. The difference between someone who's born again and someone who is not is you are not able to take the escape route if you're not born again. But in Christ, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you can take the way of escape. You, you are not a slave of sin anymore. You don't have to obey sin anymore. And beloved, this is our great honor to live with the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, able to overcome and able to say no to sin. And we don't do it by wrestling in the flesh. We do it by connecting to Holy Spirit on the inside. Connecting the Holy Spirit on the inside. And so that's how we're, we're able to obey the spirit and not obey the lusts of our flesh and the, the, the enticements of sin. And that's what he says. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present, your, uh, present yourselves to God as those being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Well, that just gives us a real clean picture that if you take your body you take your mind and you take your physical body and you put your body and your mind, you, you make it an instrument, you present it as an instrument of sin. What does that mean? That you put yourself in situations that are compromising, that you fill your mind with, with lustful thoughts. And we have all, uh, 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 such a, in, in this world today, we have an open, I mean, wide open invitation for lust, debauchery, and just filling our mind and our soul with garbage. And, and, and now, now here's what some Christians will say. Well, brother, I'm free. I'm free. I mean, it doesn't, you know, I, I can get my entertainment from whatever. You know, I'm free. I, I, I'm, I'm not under the law anymore. And I will tell you, you know what? Yeah, you are free. But as you sit there and put your mind in front of stuff that's full of lust, full of perversion, full of debauchery, as you're getting your entertainment from things that Jesus died to set you free from, as you do that and you drink all that in, guess what that's going to do? You're presenting yourself to sin and you're presenting your members to sin. And what's it going to do? It's going to corrupt your mind. And it's going to corrupt your soul. And when your soul and your mind are getting more corruption in them, you're not living by the spirit. You're living by the flesh. And then guess what happens? You presented yourself to sin. And guess what you do? You end up serving sin. Sin doesn't just happen by accident. You know, people like, aren't just like walking along and whoops. We say, I fell into sin. No, they chose it volitionally. Now, there are times when we sin, we don't realize that, we sin, that we're sinning. We say, God, please forgive that, even the sins I didn't know of. But I'm talking 99% of the time, we're choosing the sin. We're considering the situation. We presented our mind to something. We're listening to the, the voice of the enticer, the enemy. And then we make a volitional choice. I'm going to do this. It doesn't have to be big, external, giant, you know, sins in the flesh. It could be. It could be fornication, adultery. It could be those kind of sins. But also, it's these internal judgments. The enemy starts talking to you about one of the, you know, another uh, brother or sister in the church. Man, they're so full of themselves. They're just so arrogant. You're like, yeah, they're arrogant. And there you are carrying a judgment in your heart. And you know what? You can just as powerfully put that to death as any sin in the flesh to death. 
That's how we're supposed to live, governed by the Holy Spirit, supposed to recognize the voice of the accuser, the voice of the enemy, and the voice of our shepherd, right? So we follow the voice of our shepherd and the voice of another we do not follow. I will guarantee you, listen to me, the Holy Spirit isn't accusing your brothers and sisters to you. That's not the Holy Spirit. There's one that does it. His name is the accuser of the brethren. That's Lucifer. If you're walking around accusing everybody around you with judgments about everybody around you, then I guarantee you, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. You're listening to the accuser of the brethren. Man, I'm preaching good right now. This is real stuff. I want us to walk out what it means to be a Christian. I want us to walk in the new creation. And some of it's just discernment. Just recognizing that there's a battle going on. The enemy is trying to pull us away into lusts, trying to pull us away into sin, trying to get us not to operate in the power of the new birth. And so he fills our minds with all sorts of thoughts and temptations. And and, and what we have to do with that is what 2 Corinthians 10 says is we take every thought captive. And anything that's exalting itself against the knowledge of God, we we bring the thing into submission. And so uh, you know what I found? Uh, the enemy loves to tempt us in areas uh, internally as it relates to judging others. This is something I, I know a little bit about because I deal with self-righteousness. I'm just confessing. I, I, I wrote this this week. I said, every time I begin to thrive in the Lord, I, have to, I deal with self-righteousness. And I said, I need humility like I need air. I need humility like I need air. But here's what I found. You know, what the, you know what the devil will do? He'll put a thought in me about someone else. He'll say, man, that person's just full of pride. Look at them. And meanwhile, the thing that I'm able to identify in the other person is the very thing that's sick in me. Takes one to know one. Takes one to know one. So here's the thing. In your discernment, check your own heart. Check your own heart before you stand in that place of judgment. And if the Lord is identifying to you a weakness in a brother or sister, don't stand above them in judgment. Stand underneath them in intercession. Father, I'm asking you, break in for my sister. Move in power in her life. Break in for my brother. Don't sit there and go, they're so full of themselves. That's you. You see what I'm saying? Come on now. Come on, church. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. All right, so here's, here's what I want to get over to. What Paul does is he, he gives us this, this sort of pathway. He describes to us that we're, we're dead with Christ uh, on the cross. We're alive in the new creation. And then he instructs us, present ourselves to God and, and say no to the lust of the flesh. And he says it over and over and over and over through the, through the New Testament. And then he gets really specific and he actually lays out different kinds of sins that we're supposed to, to say no to. And he, he says fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil, desire, uh, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. If you spend any time reading the New Testament, what he does is he lists out all these works of the flesh and he's saying, don't do any of those. How? How do I say no to all those things? Not by behavior modification th- from my soul, but by the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me saying no to those temptations. And he describes that as putting off the old man and putting on the new living in the new man. See, the new man, the the new creation that you are, lives by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, meekness, patience, temperance, and faithfulness. 
If it's not those things being expressed through you, it's likely that it's the flesh, the works of the flesh that are enticing you to live in them. So let me show you this in Romans chapter eight. Somebody sped up the clock on us this morning. Seems like every time I preach. (laughs) Okay, look at Romans chapter eight, and this is where I want us to land the last bit of our time here. Romans eight. And I, and I, um, I, I shouldn't be because I've studied this and preached this so many times, but I'm so freshly aware, I should say, of how often Paul is calling us out of the flesh and into living by the Holy Spirit on the inside. So here's what he says, Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Okay, this is a simple, simple thought. But when we're living according to the flesh, it's because we've set our mind on the things of the flesh. But when we're living according to the Spirit, it's because we've set our minds on the Spirit. Now somebody goes, well, how do I set my mind on the spirit. And what I believe Paul is is telling us here is that we connect our mind with the truth of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We connect to the truth of that. And so this is something that I've practiced for years, sometimes more often, sometimes less, but I do know this, that the more that I, that, I, that I practice what I'm about to explain to you, the more I'm able to live mindful of the spirit on the inside of me and less mindful of the inclinations of my flesh. And it's simply this. I set my mind, I take my mind, and I intentionally think about the truth that God the Spirit is living inside of me. Have you, thought, have you ever done that? Have you ever sat there quietly, eyes closed, and you set your mind on the things of the Spirit? The shock of it, that my spirit is made to house God. And I will close my, mind, close my eyes and set my mind on the truth that Holy Spirit is inside me. And I will recognize, I'll get very, very aware that God, the Holy Spirit, is on the inside me. And when I do that, I begin to sense the rush of the Holy Spirit's power in my soul. Uh, I'll just give you an example. I came in this morning, came in confessing to Jeff and Dustin. I said, guys, my wife is on vacation. She's there with her family, and I feel like I've lost half my brain. I'm just, I'm just not myself. I, I, I ironed a shirt this morning that I didn't even wear. I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And, and I, 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 just, I, I need prayer. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I'm just one of those that when, when she's near, all is well. And when she's not, it's just not right. And uh, that's what's called being married 27 years and becoming one. That's what it is. I really do. I feel like half of me is gone. And so I was like, oh, oh, and, and Jeff's looking at me like, come on, man. <laughs> you got to preach here in a minute, you know? And he goes, I'm going to pray for you. And I said, pray for me. And I'm like, right, right, Holy Spirit on the inside. That's what I'm preaching this morning. That's right. 
So I began to set my mind on the spirit on the inside. And then all the frantic feelings of, oh, I don't know how to do life without her near me. They just began to settle. Because Holy Spirit is inside. And all of a sudden, my mind got, it got settled. And my flesh and my emotions got settled. And I started feeling the life of God flowing through me instead of the frantic weirdness of ironing shirts that I don't need to wear. And I'm convinced this is what Paul's talking about. To be carnally minded, he's gonna say, is, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So I set my mind on the spirit dwelling in me and I fill my mind with the word of God. The word of God is authored by the Holy Spirit. So to set my mind on the word and set my mind on the truth of the indwelling spirit and what happens to my soul is life and peace begin to fill my soul. Now what Paul describes to us here is this, that if we live by the flesh, it, 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 we, we, we manifest death. When we do things that are in the flesh, the outcome is always death. But when we, when we do things that are, that are guided and directed and by the Spirit, the outcome is life and peace. And then he says this, verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. What does that mean? The mind set on the flesh makes you an enemy of God. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let me just take a little side moment just right now. Here's something I've realized, been in Christian ministry 25 years. Here's something I've realized. I can be completely born again, alive in the spirit. I can have understanding of what the outcome is that God wants to bring about and be completely committed to his outcome and I can get fully in the flesh trying to do his outcome. It's, it's called being impatient and, and, and not being led by the Spirit. Because in a minute, he's going to tell us that as many of the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And here's what I'm convinced. A major, major issue with the church in our time is this. The church understands in, in a lot of parts what the ends are that God wants, but the church is, will not wait on the Lord and be led by the Spirit to accomplish God's ends according to God's means. And so what the church does is the church runs around, runs around, runs around in the flesh, manifesting flesh, angrily trying to get the will of God done. We're gonna grow the church, bless God. Well, why are you growing the church? Because souls, go get them. And, and we get all like just straining and striving over the ends. And it's in the flesh. And I'm telling you, this is why the church ends up burned out. Because we live in the flesh and we reap death instead of living in the spirit and reaping life. Now, living in the spirit doesn't mean that you don't reach souls. You definitely reach souls by living in the spirit, but you do it being led instead of striving. Am I making any sense? There's all sorts of ends that God tells us that he wants, and what we tend to do is we sit there and go, God, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And he goes, 
here's what I'm going to do. And we go, okay, I'm going to go do it. Ah, he goes, whoa. I don't want you to go run, go do it. I want you to get my heart. I want you to hear me. Get my will and get my way. And don't go in the flesh appropriating your gifts in the flesh because what you'll do is you will burn yourself out working in the flesh, reaping death. And there's so much activity that we give ourselves to that doesn't actually reap life and peace. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But then he says this, verse nine, but, if you, are, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. You, you wanna get in the spirit? You're there if you're in Christ. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you. He tells you you're there. You're in the spirit if the spirit of God dwells in you. He says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. He's talking about the, the, the new birth, the born again experience. If the Holy Spirit's not on the inside of you, you're not a believer. You're not in Christ. This is huge. There is no salvation by saying yes to a, a behavior modification or a su success plan that's called Jesus. He's not a behavior modification plan and he's not a success plan. He's God and he wants all of you and he wants to live inside of you and he wants to permeate your very being. He wants to give you new life. He wants to thrill you forever. That's what being in Christ is about. Can I get an amen, please? And so then he says this, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. He'll invigorate even your physical body through his spirit that dwells in you. But verse 12 is where I wanted to get us to. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the, the, the flesh, you will live. For as many as are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Here's what I want to get us to. There is a manner of life that we can lead where we are living by Holy Spirit on the inside. We are saying no to the enticements of the flesh and no to the enticements of the devil and the Holy Spirit on the inside is then transforming our mind, our will, and our emotions until we live our lives more directed and mostly directed by the Holy Spirit and less and less directed by the flesh or succumbing to the temptations of the enemy. You and I are not debtors to the flesh. What does that mean? You don't owe your flesh anything. You've God on the inside of you. You've God on the inside of you. Sometimes I've just got to look at myself in the mirror and go, man, you've got God on the inside of you. Come on, man. Don't, don't live according to the flesh. Engage with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and let him dictate the way you think. Let him dictate your emotions. Let him lead you today. 
You know, so often I see believers and they're frantic, worried, running here, running there, trying to fix things and do things and make things happen. And I'm like, whoa, because I guarantee that's not the Holy Spirit. Man, I'm preaching right now. If you're running around frantic, about to lose your mind, completely strung out in your emotions, that's not the Holy Spirit. It's not to say that you'll never be busy in life. It's to say this, that in the midst of the busyness, you can be governed by Holy Spirit on the inside. And when you're governed by Holy Spirit on the inside, it's life and it's peace. And so much of the truth in the New, in the New Testament that, that Paul is calling us into and calling us, uh, uh, the, the, the temptation stuff he's calling us out of, it's all with this understanding that it's by the Spirit on the inside. And so here's, here's what my, my last thought is, is this. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous that you don't walk out of here and go, wow, that's another good message, brother. But that you walk out of here and you deal with this, that God's inside of you. Like, deal with that. Think about how you manage challenges and difficulties. Think about, like, when, 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 when pressure and, and stress and trial and temptation come, how do you manage it? The scripture is absolutely clear that we're to manage it by the Holy Spirit, and not just manage it, to overcome by the Holy Spirit. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. There's not some, ooh, tug of war between you and the devil. No, it's you've got God in there. Now put to death the deeds of the flesh, say no to the devil, watch him flee, and let's live victoriously by the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside. Amen. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of his fragrance in every place. What's he talking about? He's talking about the smell of God coming out of you because you're living by the Spirit on the inside and not by the flesh. Amen? Amen, Amen, beloved. All right, let's stand.